Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. I ask our brother Lanny if you would come up with our scripture reading this morning. Our brother Lanny, please. Matthew 21. Matthew chapter 21. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and immediately he will, he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the fold of a donkey. So the disciples, <clears throat> disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and the clothes clothes on them, and laid their clothes on them, and sent him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Our speaker today, Brother Andy Vandermark, been in fellowship since we started. Came out uh, the very first Sunday when we were back at the uh, middle school. Um, He lived about a whole stone's throw from the middle, still lives about a stone's throw from the middle school. But it's been with us since we began. We're happy to have him to minister God's word in the Bible instruction time. So Andy, we'll turn the re- remainder of our meeting over to you. Well, good morning. Good morning. Yeah. Once again, it's been a year. No. Oh. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, getting up in front of people has never been my favorite thing in the world to do, but, you know. We do as we are called by the Lord. Um, let's open up in a word of prayer. Maybe. <laughs> Sorry about that, those of you on, online. Lost the mic. Father, as we prepare to get into your word here, we ask that you just guide the message that I've been looking into this past few weeks. We pray that uh, the words that come from me are are really spoken by you. And as we look at Christ as a king, I pray that we can really understand just what it means to surrender all to him. We thank you, Father, for all that's been done, and just ask your blessing on this meeting again. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, last time around, I uh, looked around at what was going on in the world, 
and I spoke on truth and how the world has completely lost the truth. Things have only gotten worse. But we knew that was going to happen. Christ laid forth the plan, and we knew things were just going to start getting worse and worse, you know, until his return. And we're not going to talk about his return for us tonight, but we are going to get into his other second coming (laughs) a little later on. But I've been focusing in these past couple of weeks on Christ as King. And I think that's something else we're missing here, not just in the U.S., but around the world, is that really the authority of Christ in our lives. Um, Now, here in the U.S., we've, in living memory, never had a king. Okay? We uh, had a group of men get together and recognize, recognize that mankind was sinful. And if you put a king in charge, eventually stuff is going to go wrong. Unless you put up some way to check um, a sinful man. <laughs> um, then things are just going to really go downhill really fast. Our king is different. We have Christ. He's king of kings, lord of lords. Uh, one who can do no wrong. One who watches out always for the best interests of his people. Okay? And a king who was willing to suffer and die on the cross so that we might have eternal life. But how do we treat our king in our day-to-day walk? Um, Is he the focus as we go about our path on the wrong page. (laughs) Are we taking account his wishes in our day-to-day decisions and walk? Uh, I want to take a look here at um, two accounts here in Matthew and then one longer account in Revelation. We'll split that one up. Matthew 21, our brother read this. Uh, I'm going to skip down to verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey, laid their coats on them, And he sat on the coats. And then most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them in the road. And they went ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. I want you to try and picture that scene in your mind. Christ is half mile from Jerusalem. I don't know the topography, you know, I don't, maybe he can see the gates, maybe not, I don't know. But he's just about, he's in Bethpage. Uh, my, note, my thing here says it's about a half mile away, maybe a little further. And he stops, and he asks him to go, get a colt, a donkey, bring it to him. And then he sits upon the donkey and rides in, and crowds of people lining the roadway are cutting down branches, and laying their coats on the road for the the donkey to walk across. Now this could have been, how do I say this nicely? This could have been a ridiculous scene. Donkeys are not the most graceful and beautiful of animals. 
but it wasn't. This was, this was a majestic entrance by Christ. The people were praising him as he rode down that road, or rode up the road to Jerusalem. Um, he's riding in. Um, on this donkey, people praising him left, right, branches on the road. Just picture that in your mind. And then I want to skip ahead, way ahead, <laughs> to Revelation chapter 19. I'm going to start in verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of, of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So it's a... So it's a Contrast in the entrances of Christ. We have one, he's riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. We have the other where he's coming on a white horse out of heaven in front of an army. And yet, he could have done that second one first, had he so desired. He could have ridden into Jerusalem that day on a white horse with armies at his back. But he didn't. You see, he rode in on that donkey, even though you know he was in his right, he was king of the Jews. And they praised him. But he rode in that way because he was following his father's instructions. Okay? We Prophecies laid out right here uh, in Matthew. He could have come in as a conqueror that first time. But he made the decision to come in as a savior. Fully king. You know, there's no doubting about that. Even though, and we'll get into this a little later, the Jews rejected him. Okay? They wanted nothing to do with him. But both scenes are the exact same Christ. One is simply him cloaked in humility as he came in. It's a strange scene for a king, but that's our king, the one we love. So he comes. Let's take a look because this is, of course, you know, that second scene I read there in Revelation. Every time Hollywood wants to portray a king coming in, this is the scene they use. 
if you think about it, a king or a savior or something. He's coming in over the mountains, sun at his back, or, you know, sun gleaming off his armor or whatever. This is the scene they use. This is the, the basis. This is what will happen when he comes this time. And he will be coming, um, and look at this, righteousness, he's coming as a judge, he's coming to wage war. His eyes are a flame of fire. This is not a king returning to his home to um, be nice. <laughs> you know, returning to his kingdom, sorry, not home, returning to his kingdom to be nice. This is a king coming back to judge. Um, this is a king who has, you know, had enough. Uh, the sins of the world are so great um, and have gotten so bad that it's time for him to return and deal with it. Okay? So as you picture this, you see him coming back. A um, couple of quick notes that we'll get into a little later on. Uh, the armies at his back. We had the crowds there in Jerusalem. They were all shouting Hosanna to the king. Now, I don't know for sure, but right through here, as you read through this passage, the armies at his back don't say a word. They're simply following him as they come uh, out of heaven. The armies at his back are not clothed for battle. They're coming on uh, horses in fine linen. Now, I don't know about you, but last I checked, we don't send soldiers to battle clothed in fine linen. Um, certainly not fine linen that's white and clean. All right. He's coming back um, fully in his kingship. He's coming back. Uh, from his mouth comes a sharp sword. That'll come important. Um, he's going to strike down the nations. He's going to rule them with a rod of iron. When Christ comes back after the tribulation period, when he comes back fully showing just what a king he is, his rule is not going to be easy. He's coming back to rule with a rod of iron. He's going to tread the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, we have his name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is quite obviously... Um, more a picture of a king that we're used to than many others, but this is a, indeed still that same man who rode in on the donkey in humility. The only difference is at this point in time, he's gone to the cross and he's saved us. All right. So, Let's talk about the two battles that take place. Once again, back in Matthew, we're going to jump ahead to Matthew chapter 26. Yes. Matthew 26, verse 57. Those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, 
where the scribes and the elders were gathered together. But Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest, and entered in and sat down with the officers to see the outcome. Now the chief priests and the whole council, start to visualize this in your head, kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so they might put him to death. They did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. I'm going to pause right there. I want you to picture this. This is a trial. you got the high priest, um, the entirety of um, what would be called the Sanhedrin, I guess, sitting in judgment. And what they're supposed to do is determine if Christ is the Messiah. Instead, what they do is they start marching in a bunch of false witnesses. But notice something about these false witnesses. Okay? Um, they were trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so they might put him to death. They did not find any. Now, me personally, I would never try to put together a false trial of somebody. But if one was going to put together a false trial of somebody and march in false witnesses, one would probably try and have the false witnesses corroborate each other. But obviously that didn't happen. None of the false testimony stuck. That just kind of throws me for a loop. If you're going to do this trial, okay, if you're going to have a trial and you're going to bring forward four false witnesses, none of the false te testimony is stuck. The first time we see here in Matthew, at least, where there's a corroboration between two witnesses, the only thing I can think of is up to this time, each of the false witnesses was countering, counter, countering whatever, whatever the false witness before them said or something like that. You know, they could not make anything stick. So we got two that come forward. They say, David, I am able to, um, this man stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. Now, this is, of course, finally true testimony. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> All right. Um, he said this. He was, of course, meaning himself and not um, the temple there in Jerusalem. But finally, at this point, high priest has got what he needs. He's got two witnesses who corroborate each other saying Christ said this. And the high priest stood up and said to him, do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. Now we know, um, back in Isaiah, that Christ was going to keep silent at this point. As a lamb before its shearers is dumb. Up until this point, this is, seems to be the first question actually asked of Christ. But it's a question um, not about whether or not he's the Messiah, but whether or not he's lying. And so Christ remains silent. Then the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Finally, he asked the question he should have started this with. 
you know? First question in, if they were trying to truly determine if Christ was the Messiah, should have been, are you the Christ, the Son of God? That should have been the first thing out of the gate. Because whether he says yes or no, if he says no, then it's done, trial's done, he's not trying to be the Messiah, throw him in jail, whatever, for whatever he's been doing. If he says yes, then you try and work out the evidence. Christ says yes. He's, well, essentially he says you have said it yourselves. And here we see Christ acting as king of the Jews. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Up until this point, it would not have happened, but up until this point, there might have been the possibility of the Jews accepting Christ as their Messiah. We know God knows all. He knew they would never do this. Up until this point, the high priest could have said, this is the Messiah, you know, but instead he tore his robes and said he has blasphemed. He rejected the Messiah. The high priest rejected the Son of God. And so Christ as king and judge mentioned here before, the next time the Jews, okay, see the Son of Man, hereafter, he's going to be at the right hand of power and he's going to be coming on the clouds of heaven. He's not going to sit in a throne here on earth at this time. He's going to come on the clouds of heaven. Um, you know, back to my last year thing, you'll notice that through this, Christ only ever uses the truth to win this battle. He waits until the high priest speaks the truth or asks the question of the truth. And then when he answers it, he only tells the truth. When he speaks, um, same as what we just read um, there in Revelations, that sword, that sharp sword that comes from his mouth. With it, he defeated the falsities of this trial and he proclaimed forever that um, he would be, uh, he was indeed the king of the Jews. Now, I meant to tell you to keep your finger back in Revelation because we're going back. <laughs> back to Revelation 19. Because we see here another trial, if you want to call it that. Then I saw, continuing from verse 17, then I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried out with a loud voice saying to all the birds which fly in mid heaven, come assemble for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves and small and great. Now, I'm not sure how much time passes between 
verse 16 and verse 19. Could have been a short period of time. Could have been quite some time. I don't know. But we see, the next image we see, and, we, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. They had to see him coming. They saw him coming. And they have enough time to assemble their armies. Whether they were already assembled for something else, I don't know at this point. But these armies come, and their entire purpose is to make war against him who sat on the horse. Now, I'm glad I'm not going to be on that side <laughs> when Christ returns. Um, whether or not that's us at his back, uh, clothed in the white linen, I didn't try and study up on that. <laughs> but keep in mind that these men and kings are there with a purpose. They are there defying Christ because they're assembled to make war against him. And so what happens? Um, as I read through this, I've always pictured it as um, those of you on Zoom, the speaker here was going crazy. <laughs> Um, I've always pictured it as maybe there were some angels that seized them. I don't know. It just says, um, no, no, no fighting, no nothing. It simply says, and the beast was seized and with him, the false prophet who performed the signs, uh, in his presence. No fuss, no muss. They're simply going to be, see, be seized. And if we skip down a little bit further, we'll get back to the rest of it. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brim, brimstone. Um, I've heard it. I don't know if I've heard it or if it's just gone through my, my head before. Do not stop. Do not pass go directly into the lake of fire. You go. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, there was no back and forth shown here, no counter argument given by the beast or the false prophet. They're simply seized and tossed into the lake of fire. They're judged immediately. Christ has had enough. Um, it's time for them to go. And so they are gotten rid of. Uh, beast was seized with him, and skipping back, who performed the signs, uh, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive in the lake of fire, and the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Same way he defeated the high priest and the Sanhedrin, First time he was around, all he did was speak. Once again here, that sword that comes 
from the mouth of Christ. Doesn't say it's the sort of truth here. Might be, might not be. I'm not going to make a guess. But we know that every time Christ speaks, it's the truth. And so when he slays these armies, and once again, keep in mind, these kings, these armies are not there because they've been forced to be. They're there because they wanted to take the place of Christ. They wanted to put the beast up in the place of Christ, in that, on, the, on the throne. You know, they were assembled to make war against Christ, to try and defeat him. And they lost completely. <laughs> All right. There was no battle. No drag out fight. The king simply did what he needed to do. And he handled it. This is our king. You know, these um, past few months, they've been pretty tough for some people. But we need to remember that this Christ, whom we have claimed as king in, you know, who we have proclaimed as king, this is that same king. He has that same power. Even now, no matter what you might be facing, I um, and what might be going on in the world around us. You know, there are times when I'm studying for a message. Uh, I often wonder whether it's for me or for <laughs> all of you, because <laughs> um, there's one thing that I have trouble doing, and that's letting go of control. <laughs> Um, you may have an easier time of that. Uh, some may have an easier time of that than others. But until you let the king have reign in your life and put him in charge, then all those battles and fights that you're going through, you're going to actually have to fight. Once you put him in charge, He'll fight it for you. Now, there'll still be stuff you have to go through. I'm not going <laughs> to sugarcoat that. But the battles where Satan is actually actively trying to attack you, he'll be there with you every step of the way. And he'll never leave. But it takes a conscious effort to allow Christ to reign in your life. And then one final thought. Um, the world needs a king. And doesn't need just any king. It's going to get just any king <laughs> at some point. That beast is going to come and deceive everybody. And while he has some amount of power, as we just read, it's nothing compared to the power of our king. But as you look around the world, you see so many that are so lost. Because indeed, they, they 
they don't have Christ as king in their lives. And it's so important that as you do do go around in your day-to-day walk, that we portray Christ as the king that they can come to trust in. Father, indeed, we're looking forward to that time when your son returns to take all of us home. We thank you and pray that if there be any here that are not looking forward to this next coming of Christ, that they would come to trust in your son as their savior so that they're not there when he comes at the end of the tribulation. Father, we pray now that as each of us goes about our day-to-day walk, we can come to remember that Christ is indeed king of our lives. We often sing that on the first meeting Sunday morning. king of my life, I crown thee now. This is not something that just happens once. This is a continual um, focus that we need to carry around with us every day to truly trust in that King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Because Father, he is indeed the only true King. Father, we ask that you keep us safe as we go from here today on our travels. In your name we pray. Amen.